Welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. We're meeting in an abandoned cafe at the edge of a future catastrophe. My name is Ivan Kokmerik, and periodically, I prepare a guest for an adventure into a desolate apocalyptic landscape, and I provide them with a knapsack into which they can place five comics or graphic novels of their choice to accompany them through oblivion. Their very difficult job is to make those choices. Okay, I'm here today for Comics for the, uh, comics for the Apocalypse with Dave DeRigo, and... We're going to try and see what his five picks will be. If you remember, Dave, this is a situation. The world's being... Civilization has been destroyed as we know it. Comics aren't valuable anymore. There's no other than for their aesthetic merit and what they give to you in terms of memories. But we put you in that situation and we give you a backpack. And in this backpack, you can put five comics. I'm going to try and find out what those five comics are to you. They can be any picks you want. It can't be a whole collection of, of comics, but just five different issues or they could be graphic novels or something that relates to that. That's the situation we, that we work upon. Let me begin by asking you about your first encounter with comics that you remember as a ch When did you grow up? Uh, in the 60s. And what I was, we, was it in Toronto? Yes. And what part of Toronto did you grow up in? In the uh, West End, Etobicoke, near Iran. We met as kids. Oh, Doug Ford's area. Oh, you're right. Doug Ford's area. So do you remember your very first encounter with comics in the comic book world? Is there anything you can tell us about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to preface it by saying the kind of world it was uh, from a retailing point of view is finding comics. I mean, you were you were running around on your bike to suburban convenience I've stores. Been there. So uh, I didn't. It was a time when you didn't have to have superheroes to be introduced to you and there were for me there were all the war comics were available and that's what I was getting into first because they I was to you? yeah I was interested in uh, war uh, in history in school and wanted to find out more about the world wars and the uh, the whole idea of military action in regards to uh, in regards to society I entertained you know maybe joining the army at one point, but but it was the war comics in particular all over. They were all over. Mm -hmm. There were so many companies that were doing them. Then I got into uh, the DC superheroes and then eventually the Marvel characters when they appeared on TV. Did you become a collector quickly or was it a while before you became a collector? I was an instant saver. Yeah, much to my you know mother's regret, but is there any particular comic you remember as being one of the earliest comics you had? Yeah, just just the, the war comics, Sergeant Rock, GI Combat. Yeah. I was always interested in uh, planes, you know, warbirds from yeah. the Second World War. So I was interested in Johnny Cloud, the Nav Navajo Ace. How about Blackhawk? Yeah, what? yeah. Was into that. Uh, I was more into Tomahawk actually at the <laughs> time. But history definitely appealed to me in comics. Well, fair enough. That's a good place to start in comics because those war comics were quality comics. What I remember way back then, they were good reads. Now, can I ask you your first choice? What would be your first choice to put in that backpack to take with you? Through well, it's a good segue. I mean, the first pick would be be Joe Cooper. Yeah. And it would be uh, one of his Enemy Ace comics. Well, they were quality when they came And uh, it wouldn't be, say, the first uh, appearances, which were in our army at war, 
It would be the first one in which he appeared in Star Spangled War Stories with the black cover, which I think is a classic. Now, why would you pick that one? What sort of feelings or memories would it evoke in you? Would it be just for the, the beauty of the book? Would it because the story was good or a combination yeah. of everything? Yeah, everything. It just it just hits me to my core. You know, an interest in aviation, an interest in war aviation, interest in Joe Kubert. I, I just so love it takes the work off all the boxes. The yeah, right way. yeah. And I remember that the enemy ace was so good because it it took a look at the perspective of war from the other side, from the enemy side, and it was so well done. And it was at a time when you know peanuts had had uh, Snoopy oh, going yeah. around as the Red Baron, and so it was it was a very topical uh, kind of thing at the time. So that that would be one related to my love of war comics. Now let's get into your teenage years, and I think you you put out some of the first sort of comic book heroes after the Canadian Whites. Was it in the late 60s or early 70s by producing your own comic books at that time? Yeah, um, I wish I could produce it for you, uh, for your own collection, but yeah. Can you tell anything, uh, share anything about it? Sure. There were four issues that were done on uh, on a mimeograph. Mm -hmm. Uh, They weren't uh, as amateur as that might sound. I mean, we, we... we did them. They were stapled. We, we When you say we, who do you mean? Well, an old friend of, oh. of the time who was a, who was a wannabe uh, comic <laughs> artist and writer as well. Uh, and what years were they put out? In, in 68 and 69. Yeah. And in 69, we graduated to a, you know, photo offset printing mm-hmm. in which they were magazine size, eight and a half by eleven. The other ones were eight and a half by eleven, but not. But these were polished, you know, professional things that were done on both sides of the paper. Uh, by then, we had evolved into a, a U.S. Canadian oh. operation. I mean, it was my friend moved to the U.S. and he developed friendships with people there and they produced one of them was a guy in his 20s who was a good artist so we we were publishing his work for the first time what was the name of the publication well it was the name of the uh, the characters were the heroes and rubber cop and so it was known as hark h-a-r-c the acronym was Yeah. yeah and so this was number five and uh, they were. It was even done with color on the covers. And then uh, there was another one done the same way. Uh, we were the oper- our operation was called Sensational Comics. We were planning on having uh, Sensational debut and Sensational display, which would be ongoing entry po- entry points. To, uh, to artists and characters that we were creating. It was, it was like a showcase, you know, issue to issue. Uh, we did a sensational display with, uh, it, was all the, it was all the U.S. Uh, by this guy, as uh, I'm referring to an older guy. And was it distributed in, in the U.S. too? Or just in Canada? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. But there were no stores back then, so it was all done on yeah. mail order. No, oh, I remember those days. Yeah, yeah, we had to advertise and with rockets blast and the buyers. That's guide. it. That's yeah. it. Yeah, but that was a funny time too because we started to get stores like like Captain George's, yeah, Memory Lane, yeah, in Toronto, and then eventually in Kitchener, uh, Harry's now store. Then, yeah. Now and then, yeah. comics. So that we're at the end of the '60s, beginning of the '70s. Can you tell us what your second selection would be? 
Well, from that era, I guess it would have to be a Nick Fury agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. by Stranko, say say the, uh, uh, oh, I don't know, I'm torn, but uh, I guess the, the, was it the second issue? Where where the Hound? No, it's the third issue. The third issue? That was the one I was going to. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, you didn't want to pick that? That's okay. Uh... Well, I could pick another one. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. The third issue of the okay. great Steranko cover and yeah. still has that sort of paramilitary feel to it. Yeah. Which was good. Yeah. Although he wasn't really a secret agent in that in that one, but uh yeah, well there's 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 others in that first five issues or so. And then from that period it's hard to say. Uh there's there was a lot of Neil Adams uh, that was great at the time. Uh, I'd have to pick one of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow mm-hmm. stories, the Speedy is a drug addict <laughs> issue. Why would you uh, pick that one of all of them? I know why you'd pick it because of the Adams artwork. Yeah. Story, but yeah. Why that particular issue? Uh, because it was so shocking at the time, you know, to see, to see a character, you know, yeah. shooting up yeah. on the cover and he's, and he's just a kid. You know, it, it, it achieved its effect, and it went so well with what O'Neill and Adams were doing it, with those uh, issues. So what feelings would it evoke in you if you pull it out of your backpack while you're on this uh, erect skyscraper leaning yeah, leaning off yeah. the edge looking over the city? What would you feel pulling that book out of the pack? Well, that comics weren't for kids anymore, that, that uh, you know, they were Such evolving into yeah. maturity the way I was. Now, we did have the underground comics who were already there. In the late sixty, but not many of them around. They weren't on no, the surface. I didn't. I never saw them. No. Yeah. Now, during the seventies, you got to work with Dragon Lady Comics. Uh, it was at the end of the seventies. I'm more 70s. of an eighties. How did you get that from there, from trying to produce your own comic and being successful, to being involved with Dragon Lady Comics? How did that happen? We're talking the early days of the Silver Snail down on Queen Street oh, yes. West, yeah. and Dragon Lady, you know, opened up down there as well. So I was always down there. Uh, he, uh, John Burnett, grafted comics onto a store that was down there that was specializing in children's material, oh. and they needed they needed uh, space. They had space to spare, and he was uh, putting material that he was selling through mail order out of his home. And that's that's how he evolved as a dealer. And then he uh, found that they they had to uh, close down uh, and he took over the shop. He took a big risk and uh, moved into the shop. Originally had his, uh, his, do- his uh, sister as the manager, but she had no knowledge of comics at all. It was a big mistake. But how did you get hired? Yeah, I, I, he mentioned that to me, that, that his sister didn't know anything about oh. comics, and it was a mistake, he thought. And I said, well, you know, I'd be interested in the job if you offered it to me, uh, you know, and he did. And what was your role? Shortly after. What, things, what sort of things did you do at Dragon Lady? I, I hired and fired and did the <laughs> daily banking and, you know, cleaned the place and uh, ordered uh, material. Just, just what any manager has to do, but it was, you know, the early days and people would walk into the store and say, this is amazing, you know, a, a store devoted to comics and you're a manager of such a place. What kind of Seems a freak like a are you? a dream job. 
a dream job for somebody. So we picked up three issues so far. A war comic, an enemy ace comic, Nick Fury comic, and a Green Arrow, Green Lantern comic, and Adam's Green Arrow, Green Lantern comic. How about your fourth pick now? You've got these in your backpack. You get another one in there. I'd have to, I'd have to go with, um, you know, uh, for me, uh, I'd have to go with uh, an item from Marvel's black and white magazine period. So I would, I'd, I'd have to say uh, an issue of Savage Sword of Conan mm. um, by Thomas and John Buscema and Alfredo Alcala. I thought they made a great team. And they really caught the savagery of Conan mm-hmm. the Barbarian. Geez, I wish I could tell you it was an adaptation. It would have been an adaptation of a Robert E. Howard story, mm-hmm. uh, and I can't think of the title offhand. But one of the early numbers uh, in which he's crucified, you know, uh, in the story. Yeah. But those issues had an effect on oh, me as well. And it was just for the power, the savagery of capturing what Conan was about in Howard's stories. Yes, yes, I was I was a, a Howard fan, and I just loved the way they, they, they adapted it. Now, you were a writer, too, a writer and an artist? A uh, writer, I, I, I drew back in the day of those uh, mimeograph yes. things, but yeah, I evolved into just writing. And can you take us through that, how it occurred, just uh, from being a store manager, from being a person who put out comics and... Just a comic lover. How did you get to be a writer? Well, it was it was fiction for the most mm-hmm. part, but then I, I came up with uh, uh, an idea that was originally for fiction. But I said, well, you know, maybe I could adapt this to comics since we're getting into the independent alternative scene back in the early eighties. So I, I happened to meet Rick Taylor mm-hmm. uh, through the store, and I thought, you know, he would be uh, an option. And then I, present, I, I presented this uh, as, a, as an idea, as a pitch. By the way, you know, Ron here was involved with that as well. We, we developed an idea and a short story. And we brought those to uh, Denny Louvere out mm-hmm. of NapleCon in Ottawa. And uh, she liked both of them. And you'd known Ron since you were kids. Yeah. Um, Ron Hobbs, yeah. Yeah. So uh, this was prior to the book that we we did called The Snake uh, that, that was part of my publishing. But I should tell listeners that Ron Hobbs is actually sitting here and he's being... Yeah. Very quiet, very sensible, though I see him biting his tongue wanting to say things all the time. I mean, I'm just in another word. Please go ahead. So he, um, she really loved uh, the wordsmith idea, even though we, I didn't have art really for it at the time, but she, I just had the pitch concept. So uh, I developed it. Later, with Rick Taylor, and we, we sent it off to Kitchener. The, she and Dave Sim, they were still together at the mm-hmm. time, saw it and gave it the go-ahead. And that carried me through the mid to late 80s uh, for a few years, 12 issues. You know, I, I uh, went from there to self-publishing, started my own Canadian-based uh, company out of Brantford when I moved out of Toronto mm-hmm. to Brantford. What was the name of that company? Special Studio. And not many people know the fact that there was a a comic book publishing company in Bradford. 
Yeah, Brantford. Yeah, Brantford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, you know, Canadian comics don't get they don't a get lot of acceptance by in the Canadian market. Uh, but I think that's changing now and growing, <laughs> especially with all the independent people around. I hope so. But they also, at the time, you were working against the uh, the black and white stigma yeah. as well. And uh, but my my material was crime related or historical or something. Not many superheroes. No, no, no. So I, 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 I tailored it to uh, black and white material, but could only make a go of it for a, a few years. Uh, came came across a, a great artist who uh, who ended up doing work. His name was Peter Grau, and he uh, ended up doing work in the U.S. for almost a decade. But a lot of people don't know him because he he worked at Valiant for the most part, or. Mm. Techno comics and all, you know alternative color material. Well, this takes us then up to what the mid to late eighties, right? Right. Now you've got your four picks. How about your last pick for that knapsack? This is all you're going to have to walk around. I'd have to go with um, one of Will Eisner's graphic novels, and it's tough to pick them all. Uh, but I guess the one that speaks to me is The Dreamer, mm-hmm. since that. Uh, is about uh, the early days of comics, and it's about a writer, artist. It's about him. It kind of covers the same territory that I tried to cover with Wordsmith. And it sort of is a thread running through all your picks so far, this sort of idea of history, of reality, rather than just superheroes, of, of things going on in the world, some connection with uh, sort of an adult approach to comics. Okay, so you've got your five comics. You've got your knapsack. You open the door. And there's a desolation out there. I'm going to ask you to pick one thing, which is just a luxury, which doesn't have to have any use, doesn't have anything, but something that would help you, help you psychologically in this wasteland. I would have to go with a toy of some sort from my childhood days, a model airplane, a a warbird airplane (laughs) from World War II that, uh, that I would have put together you know, back then, but man, that's a that's a terrible thing to carry in the apocalypse. No, it's not going to last very long. No, but it. it, it but it was. It's one that I I would have. It, it's one that I would have put together and even painted. So your fingerprints you know? would be all over it. Yeah. Your, yeah. Your soul would be all over it. You're <laughs> taking that with you. I can't think of anything better. Okay, comics, luxury. The last thing you get, Dave, is. A superpower. But again, remember, the superpower can't reverse the apocalypse. You can't change it. You're stuck there. What superpower would you pick? That's hard because you all the comics you described would yeah. be just yeah. realistic and historical. Now we're asking um, you to pick a superpower. Geez, I'd, I'd have to go with... It's, it's a toss-up between invisibility and strength. I would... Uh, in my in my age, at my age, I'd, I'd have to go with the strength, but it would have to be, say, something that uh, strength for a brief period of time. So say, say like intermittent strength, like 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 Dynamo on the Thunder Agents, you know, where it's just a belt. Oh and yeah. You turn the you turn it, and it gives you strength for a certain amount. And why would you limit it? Uh, it's not too fantastical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so some sort of a power belt, like Dynamo's power belt. Yeah, 
and it gives you a blast for however long, 20 minutes, half an hour, That's an it. hour. Yeah. And yeah. then you come back to be normal again. Yeah. And I, 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 I want to be, I want to, uh, yeah. I, I don't want to be a superhero. I, I'd rather just be. But if you encounter a, a, a post-apocalypse zombie around the corner, yeah. you want to be able to turn that belt on and take him on. Yeah, yeah. But as soon as you've gotten by him, then you're back to normal. Yeah. I can appreciate yeah. that. That's Well, yeah, you're back to your guns. Well, that's, I think you, you face a bright future with those comics in, in the wasteland, and your chances of surviving with that power belt are, are increased as well. So thanks for picking your comics and thanks for telling us how you'd exist in that wasteland. And thanks for participating in Comics for the Apocalypse. Thank you, Dave. Okay, you're welcome, Ivan.